everyone. This is Mary Smith with Educational Leadership Consultants. Today I have with me as my guest, Aaron Jones. And y'all, I've had Aaron before and we had a great conversation because she lives in the Pacific Northwest and we talked about, and, and it was right at the beginning of all this pandemic. And she gave us insight into how, how we were handling, they were handling that kind of thing and some tips on, on how to handle that whole situation. But guys, now she is super, super timely because this is Erin's area of expertise. She specializes and her whole world revolves around equity talks. I mean, discussing with educators and professionals how we can have more, uh, more, I don't even know how to say it, Erin, help me out here. Really, really helping, especially white people get comfortable with being uncomfortable talking about things like race and equity and um, just all of the stuff that we don't like to talk about in this country. <laughs> right. And so you can tell me as a white person and Aaron as a Aaron, you are half black and half white, correct? Yes. Although, okay. although uh, when you see me, uh, nobody's ever going to guess that I'm white because that, I, that I is true. Big old afro. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But you can see the difficulty that he, that I have with yes. you, and I consider you one of my very good friends. Yes. And yeah, so you know, it's yeah. not um, it's not something that's intentional. It's just the right. way we've been raised and our biases. So speak to us there and tell me what I can do to fix this man. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, and I'm, I'm coming off a few really hard weeks. Like this has probably been three of the hardest weeks of my adult life. Um, just with everything that's happened from the news of Ahmaud Arbery to Breonna Taylor to George Floyd to now in our state, we have, we just realized, or we just were, are learning about a young man in Tacoma, which is just 30 minutes north of us, who was also choked out by police and killed um, really about the same time that Breonna Taylor died. So I think March 3rd, um, his name is Manny Ellis. He, he likely was a student that was around me at some point because he's the age of the kids that I taught in Tacoma. Um, but there's that. And then my daughter attended a protest last night in Seattle and was maced in the face while trying to save a white woman who was being hit by a police officer with a bicycle. My daughter started yelling at him to stop hitting this woman with a bicycle and he turned around and sprayed her in the face with mace. So this is a heavy time. And so I think what I would say to my white friends and to white folks in general is, this is not about black against white. This is about, first of all, I don't ever get to not think about race. I don't have a day where I get to just be Aaron Jones. Every single day, I have to think about race, whether it's because I'm teaching people or whether it's because I'm moving out in the public world. And I have to think about when I go running, I run in predominantly white communities often when I'm on the road because I'm a consultant like you. And so I have to think okay, is this person who's staring at me, are they going to call the police? This is stuff that my white friends don't ever have to think about. But for me, these are things that I have to think about. And so not only am I doing the work, but I'm also living the work. And now as a mom, to see my daughter's face last night when she called was heartbreaking. 
And I didn't cry about it till this morning. I, I woke up and I woke up crying this morning because I can't protect her. And I mean, obviously I could tell her to just not go to marches, but the reality is when we look at the news, you don't even have to be at a march to experience that as a black young woman or young man. And, and that's the truth. And to help my white friends understand, this is not about guilt, shame, and blame. It's not about saying all white people are bad. It's about saying that the way we move through this, the world or the way we move through this country is really different. And is, particularly for educators, you need to become aware of that and understand that this is how your students are showing up in your classroom is they have either experienced it, they've witnessed it with their moms or dads, they're seeing it on the news. And as we think about, especially our black students coming back to school in the fall, if you are not addressing this and learning to have conversations about this stuff, they're coming into your classrooms and your school spaces having experienced a lot of trauma and we will do our students a disservice and ourselves to not be able to talk about that. So how, what conversation, you know, okay, first off, I got two things to say. Number one is it is never, and I have to say, I have never thought about, you know, cause I, as I go to different cities too, I'll just get out and about and see where I am and kind of enjoy the countryside. Now I got to tell you, I don't run because you know, <laughs> good grief. that would kill me to run. I do walk, but I don't run. But yeah. I, I, I never occurs to me that to think, why are they staring at me? And it have anything to do with the color of my skin. It just doesn't occur to me. Right. And that's, and I tell people that's privilege, right? Like, like white privilege is not this bad thing. That means you're a bad person. But what it means is that you don't have to think about this stuff. That is the ultimate privilege that you don't have to think when you walk through a mall and the security guard just seems to be in the same hall that you are all the time. I uh, have to think about what that means. And, and it happens to me everywhere. And I've learned to just smile at them. And, and usually I'll go out of my way to speak to the security guard um, and smile at them. But the reality is that for my white parents, so my parents are white, um, as you know. Yeah. I was adopted by white people. They move in the world in a totally different way. And, and, the, and they realize this. They are so aware that there are things they never have to think about that they watch me move in the world and they're like, oh my gosh, we, that is not something we've ever had to experience. But now we see it differently because you're our daughter. And right. we can walk into the same restaurant and they will be served first. And then I'm like an afterthought and I'm six feet tall. Like, it's not like you can't see me. Right. You know, and um, we'll go into a store and the security guard will come right up to me or the manager. Hey, can we help you? Translation, because I worked in retail. We want to make sure we can see you at all times. And my mom never has that happen to her. Yeah, me either. I have to say me either. I don't have yeah, that happen that's, to me. That's privilege. That's privilege. So I think a lot of times white people get really offended by the term white privilege. It doesn't mean that your life is going to be better, but it does mean that your skin is not a disadvantage to you. Yeah. And it, it does mean that there are certain rules of the game that you never have to think about. And that's, that's privilege. And to just be aware that you get to move in that way is important, especially if you're an educator. That is true. Okay. So if that's the case, how can we, what is it that we need to know as educators and how can we initiate these conversations to make our students more comfortable to talk to us about things that matter. 
Yeah. So one of the things I'm challenging people to do right now, and I'm actually facilitating a group of white leaders starting tomorrow. Um, I'm going to do a four, a four week facilitation of, um, the 21 day racial equity challenge. So Michigan put out this racial equity challenge. It's 21 days of activities. I would encourage every educator to do it. And you can, what's really cool is um, you could do it on your own or you can gather. I have a bunch of educators from all over the country that are gonna do it on their own. And they've kind of convened their own groups to do it together. I think you just need to do your own learning about this stuff. And, And the 21 day challenge is really powerful. I think the other thing, and I, I, when I do racial equity work, I say equity is really about three things as an educator. It's number one, understanding your own personal story, understanding how do you move in the world? So what does your skin color mean for you? What is it? Have you even unpacked the ways that you have either been advantaged or disadvantaged by skin color? Um, how have you been advantaged or disadvantaged by your socioeconomic background, the region you grew up in? the culture that is important to you, like really unpacking your own personal story. A lot of educators have never done that. They've never unpacked their stories. They just show up in classroom spaces and and they know science or math, but they don't really know their own story and they haven't really unpacked all the ways that they move in the world. So I tell people first thing to do is really unpack your story. Second thing, do you actually know the community you're serving? Like, do you live in the community you teach in? If you don't, and you're teaching a group of students that you only know in the schoolroom context, what are you willing to do to get to know that community? And I encourage educators, if you live in a different community, get into the the neighborhood where you teach and eat at every restaurant. Like, take your family and eat at every restaurant. Sit and watch how do people engage in this restaurant. Restaurants are a great place to understand how culture works and how systems work. You see, how do people talk to one another? How do men interact with women? How do elders interact with children? And that's a great way to get to know the community. What are the faith organizations that are in that community? Are there Buddhists in that community? Is there a mosque in that community? Go and visit. What's really cool about my community here in Washington State is we actually, the mosque has a day once a month where non-Muslims can come and just learn about the Muslim faith to demystify it. Because I think the news tells us one story about Muslims and it makes people scared. Yeah. And it makes people scared of brown folks with hijab or brown folks who call themselves Muslim. So get out to the different faith communities and, and visit. Um, and then thirdly, look at the systems that are at play in your school space. Who's being, who's being disproportionately disciplined in your school? Is it mostly black students or brown students who are being sent to the office? Um, Who has access to advanced programs like AP or international baccalaureate or honors? Who is being thrown into special education? And look at those numbers and figure out, is it proportional? Because it should be. If we're doing systems, right, it should be proportional. Um, And look at those systems. But the systems are actually the last thing you should look at. So I think too often when we want to quote unquote fix stuff, we jump to the systems. But if you don't know your own story and how you move in the world, the lenses that you look at systems with are flawed because you haven't really taken the time to understand the lenses you're looking through. But then you also have to know who am I serving? Do I actually have authentic relationships? Do you have any friends outside of your personal circle? 
look at your social media. Is ev- almost everyone in your social media look like you, sound like you, come from a simple, similar experience from you? If that's the case, you need to widen your circle. That will help you as an educator better serve students who are not like you. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, I, I have to say, now that I hear what your three things are, um, number one, I don't know if I truly unpacked my story personally. Yeah. You know, I mean, I haven't really thought, I mean, I've got all these experiences that I draw from that I speak on. Yeah. But as far as my position in the world and what it is, I ne- I have to some degree, but I don't yeah. know that I've done it fully. You right. know, number two, I did live in the community that I taught in. And it gave me this huge advantage with not yeah. only the, the students, but with the parents as well. You know, because I had kids at my house all the time that were in my class. Yeah. And they would be, they would just show up at my house. Yeah. I like, did that too. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, and I felt like I had a, a huge advantage. You yeah. know, I, it, it's easier to make an at-home visit when you're walking across the street. Absolutely. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? Yes. Uh-huh. And, we live in the neighborhood where my husband teaches now. So during this pandemic, when we've been quarantined, he and I walk all the time and we every day walk by at least three or four of his students. And it makes, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. It really does. And it gives you, it, you're right. It does give you this insight into what's going on because I can tell you that because I was a teacher in Texas and it was in the eighties and nineties and we still weren't making very much money. I did not live in a nice part of town. Plus I was single for a long, long period of time. My school was socioeconomically disadvantaged, but I was also socioeconomically disadvantaged. So all the struggles and like, I, I can remember other teachers who didn't live in the neighborhood, you know, who honestly, I was a little bit jealous of because they had more money and more resources than yeah. I did. But, and they would say things like, well, so-and-so's parents, I can't ever reach them. And then I'd whip my head around and go, that's because they're working three jobs. Three jobs, yes. You know, <laughs> it's not because they're, they're out getting They don't drunk. care. <laughs> they they, they're working three jobs, you right. know, that's a single mom who's barely getting by and she's relying on her oldest who's in eighth grade to help take care of our third grader here. Exactly. You know, and, and because I was living the life is the only reason right. that I could identify it, you know? Right. Right. But how, I mean, even then though, Aaron, it's still difficult. Like how do you approach having a conversation and do we even need to approach our, our friends of color, is that, is that appropriate anymore? Am I saying the it, wrong thing? It is, you know, although I, I, so as someone who grew up in another country, I always think people of color sounds funny because white is a color too. And when we say people <laughs> of color, we're trying to say everything but white. So I tend to say black, brown, and native students, but I, okay. I, I people of color is easier. Just POC is easier to say. Um, but I, I tend to say black, brown, and native because we're talking about everybody but white, right? I mean, right. Yes, kind we of the are. irony of that. Yeah, you're right. Okay, and white is a color too. You're right. <laughs> okay, so, but when do we need to have intentional conversations with our friends who are black, brown, or? So, so here's what I would say about that. I think first, um, white folks need to do their research. So, as a black person, I should not be the educator of all my friends around issues of being black, particularly now that you have. YouTube and you have all these articles at your fingertips. So do your research. Okay. And um, and for those folks who are on social media, 
there are so many really amazing folks that you could follow on social media, like Dr. Christopher Emden, really amazing educator. Um, Principal Kofele is another really, there are lots of black and brown educators that you could follow on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and just learn. The other thing is, um, you know, it's really important that you develop some authentic relationships. Like I would say you and I have the kind of relationship where you could ask me questions and I'll answer, but you're not just asking, you don't just ask me about race. You ask me about my kids. You, we talk about education stuff. So I would say, don't just walk up to random black person on the street (laughs) and say, Hey, I want to be your friend because I want to learn how black people live. Right. Like that's not, I wouldn't recommend that. Um, it's not our job to educate everyone. And, and you know what's really win. ironic is that you have to actually say that out loud. I know. <laughs> but <laughs> I know it's like there a, are people who try that thing. It's uh, like, yes, but there are people who have tried that. They have walked up to random people on, and I've had that happen. Actually, <laughs> I've had random white people walk up to me and say, can you explain to me why black people? And I'm like, first of all, I am one black person. I can't explain the experience of every black person in America. I am my husband and I have been doing live Facebook um, chats every Friday to talk about this stuff. And we're really explicit. We can only speak for James and Aaron Jones. We can't speak for the entire black community. But one of the things I would say to folks is so find five or six different black folks, brown folks that you can follow and listen to and realize that each one of us has a sliver of the story. Just like for those of us who are black and brown, we are surrounded by hundreds of thousands of white people. So we don't have one white story, but for many of my white friends, I am their only black friend. For many white people they have, if they have a black friend, it's one black friend. Be intentional about reaching out, like choose to go to a Bible study at a black church. If you're a white person and just, be like don't try to make them your friend just if you're a christian go sit in a bible study at a black church and just be and exist there and listen and learn and you will develop a relationship out of that right but just be yeah instead of trying to make it hard you yes. have to make it hard just i yes. like you would if you're going to your church thank you yes you know i mean yes. seriously okay yes. so here's one thing that i really want to point out because i want to make sure people heard this is that it's my responsibility as a white human to do my research to start to understand my black brothers and sisters and my brown ones, not their responsibility to teach me what I need to know. That's what number one people need to understand. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I can't expect you to be responsible for my education. I have nope. to be responsible for my own. So that's that's a really good tip. That's a really yep. good point, Erin. Yep. And actually, if people reach out to me, um, I have, I'm on Twitter at Erin Jones in 2016. I'm on Facebook in three places, but the best place to find me is Erin Jones um, LLC. And there I actually have a list of podcasts of books to read, of authors to look out for, of people to follow on social media, of movies to watch. I have a whole list of stuff Um, on Twitter. I've just listed out in the last week uh, just whole, a bevy of resources. So there is no lack of 
ways to learn. Um, there are lots of lists of resources. That's perfect. I really do appreciate that. And I know a lot of people will appreciate that because then it's like, where do you start? Right. Especially if you just type in YouTube, help me to understand a black person. Then, <laughs> I mean, you're going to get all kinds of crap. Yes, you, know? you will. Yes, you will. <laughs> and it's Don't not necessarily somebody that I want to follow. Exactly. It's like exactly. turning on the TV. What media yep. source do I really want to yep. listen to? Yep. Therefore, I don't turn on the TV because exactly. I don't know which one to listen to and I don't like any of them. Yep. You know? Yeah. So I've given I've given some lists of suggestions of people that particularly for educators that I think you should be following. And and here's what I'll say to that as well. You do not have to agree with everything they say or I say. But I hope that if you follow enough of them, you'll see some some through lines, some patterns. Yeah. And you'll learn some big ideas. And that's really what I think will move us forward. I think you're right. And I really, and, and you know, I can't speak for anyone except for myself. I really can't. However, right. I feel like our country is tired of it. Yes. You know, <laughs> I am I tired. Think, I, I am tired. <laughs> I'm sure you are. You know, I'm, and, and it's only because we communicate fairly I mean, fairly often, I mean, we're not, we're not talking every day, but we communicate often enough to where I can see you're tired, you know, I can, I can hear your exhaustion Yeah. just because, and I can't even imagine because I go about my daily life and honestly, I don't think too much about anything. You know, I am, I'm at my house. Now I will tell you, I went downtown yesterday. Uh, We were out gallivanting me and my best friend. And I saw these businesses boarded up and I went, what is going on around here? She goes, it's because of the protest. Right, right. And I went, what? And she said, yeah, yeah they, they boarded up the buildings because of the protest. They didn't want to get looted. Okay, so again, Mary's <laughs> been living under a rock. Yeah. And didn't even, you know, doesn't pay attention to, like, I didn't realize we were having protests. I knew we had one a week or so ago um, that had like 60,000 people. Right. And I don't get to not think about that stuff. Like that's not, I don't, um, that's my point. And again, that goes back to privilege, right? Like yep. I don't get to not think about that. And I, I will also add, and this is, you know, my youngest son came up this morning when he woke up, he came into my bedroom and he said, mom, I'm just tired. And he's a graduate student at USC right now, um, getting a degree in mixed media. So he's a writer. He's a thinker. I mean, he got one wrong in the SAT. He's super brilliant um, math and and writing. So he's kind of this dual brain, brilliant child. He's also six foot four and 300 pounds of a black man. And he said, Mom, I wish people understood the difference between protesters, rioters and looters. There's a huge difference. And there are so many people that are getting those things confused that there's my sister who is out just trying to march. All she wanted to do was march. And then she gets sprayed in the face with mace. And he said, there are other people that are out, like where we live, there's a whole organization called the Proud Boys, and they are a white supremacist group. They've been sending out messages to their people to show up at these peaceful, peaceful protests and wreak havoc. Those are, those are rioters. I mean, they are definitely out there trying to incite violence right Um, and then there are the looters who you know sometimes when i look at minneapolis which is where i'm originally from by the way um you know sometimes it's people that are just so desperate they have been beaten down their entire lives 
And my, you know, my husband, I think it was my husband. I can't remember. Somebody used this analogy. It's like, you know, when you have a little baby, a little baby will cry when they're hungry because they can't communicate. And if you don't respond to their crying, they will start screaming. And if you don't respond to their screaming, right, they'll throw their little arms and they'll, they'll have a tantrum. Right. Until you respond. You know, how often have people been trying to let you know, by the way, we're not doing well. We're not doing well. People may not realize this, but Seattle and Minneapolis both in the last 10 years have been like in the top 10 for the worst gaps in learning between black and white students. So we're talking about the worst academic outcomes and experiences for black children are in Minneapolis and Seattle. And it makes me think as an educator, like we've set these young people up for failure. We've not been teaching them. We've we've not done a good job for these children in school. So it's no wonder they're angry. Right. And you know, honestly, the truth is, is that most educators, at least were in my area, most of us are white teachers. Right. Um, that way across the country. Oh, is it? It is that way across the country. Yep. With some exceptions. Very few exceptions. Most major cities, you have 90% of the educators are white and the children look very different. They do. The children look different and um, the neighborhoods that we live in are different. Yep. You know, still so segregated. It, we are very segregated. Still. Yep. You know, I, I, and I can say that for my neighborhood, my neighborhood has a thousand homes and because I do get out and walk and ride my bike every day, I can count on two hands, the number of black families that live in my, in my neighborhood. I'm sure. And, and people are not aware that segregation is still a thing. It's a, it's what, what is called de facto. It's not written in law anymore. But what a lot of, I think, white America doesn't realize, and I'll just speak to the Northwest where I am, where people think we're really progressive, is until the 80s, there were still laws in the books that forced Black people into certain neighborhoods and didn't allow them to buy property in the nicer neighborhoods until the 80s. You're kidding. And it's still in deeds of houses. So I worked for um, an agency in Seattle that does all the taxation of property. And it is still in the deed. If you bought your house before 1980, there are still deeds today that say cannot be sold to a Negro. Wow. And so so, how do they get around that now? Well, I mean, now they're changing those deeds if someone buys the house. But if the house has been in the owner's, you know, if it's the same owner for the last 40 years. Right. um, You know, but here's what I need educators to understand that now because of that. First of all, we build wealth by buying homes. If black people were not allowed to buy homes in nice neighborhoods until the 80s, so let's just do the math there. If you were not allowed to buy a home in a nice neighborhood until the 80s, it means white people have had the opportunity to build wealth in their families. Right. In ways that black people couldn't until the 80s, right? And if you have a tradition in your, in your family, in your heritage of not buying a home, then you may not even understand how powerful it is to purchase a home. And so many Black people, even though they can buy homes today, don't even understand the power of home ownership. And so there are lots of organizations now that just do training in how to buy a home because Black people couldn't buy homes until the 80s. And so, I mean, just understand the history of that and the weight of that 
And if you've always been kind of forced to live in particular neighborhoods, where are the worst schools? Well, right, where home values are less, right? So there's all of this systemic stuff that I need my white brothers and sisters to understand. It's not about black people choose to live in those neighborhoods or black people choose to go to schools that are less resourced. This is the way it has been for so long and getting out of that is going to take intentionality. It's going to take some some shifting of systems and supports. And that's really what I want to see is, is for us to look at the systems that have been in place for a long time and say, what is it going to take, take to change those systems? And how do we now change the reality for whole groups of people who haven't known anything else? Wow, that blows my mind. And I will, I will say this, I know that, um, because tradi- traditionally, at least in where I worked, um, in the schools that I was at, a lot of times our black people that worked there, we had a couple of teachers, um, but most of it was custodial staff. Yep. And they did not understand. I mean, they didn't even think they could buy a home. Yep. You know, it's like, yep. where do you live? Oh, well, I live right over here, which happened to be the same neighborhood I lived in, right? Yep. And so, oh, so how long have you been living there? 10 years? Oh, me too. So, did, I mean, how much did your, um, you know, you get around to, to whether you rent or your own. Yeah. Once you get to know them and it's like, well, I don't own my house. Well, I didn't right. own my house either because I couldn't afford it. But it was like, well, how can you have about your house if you've been living there that long? And they said, yeah, well, I can never buy a house. Uh-huh. Well, why not? I mean, that was something. And I have yep. to tell you, that was one of the biggest eye-opening conversations I've ever had with a black person was after I was already teaching and I had a custodian that was a friend of mine actually tell me I can't buy a house. And I said, why not? And they said, well, black people don't really buy houses. Right. And I went, why? And they said, we just don't. Well, let me, here's a true story. So my, my husband's grandfather fought in world war two. And when he came back from war, first of all, he couldn't sit at the same, in the same restaurants as his white, the white men who also fought in World War II. Right. He also couldn't benefit from the GI Bill. What? He was not allowed. No, black people were not allowed. That's how redlining started was the GI Bill. The white men could buy new homes in new communities. Black men were not allowed to buy homes. So I want my white brothers and sisters to go do research on that on the GI Bill and how white people benefited from that, but black people were not allowed to. So go do some research. So my my husband's grandfather ended up moving out here to Washington State to get away from all of that. And he was one of the first black landowners here. But it's, it's interesting because a lot of white people don't know the history. And so we have been sent messages for generations that we're not allowed to buy property. So now, even though we can, most black people don't. They think, think they you can't. Can because they've been told for generations you right. can't buy property. Right. It's a mindset. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like Pavlov. You know, it's like the, you know, once you've trained, it's like an elephant. Once you've trained an elephant, you've chained him to a fence for so long, you don't even need the chain anymore. Right. Because he's not going to move. Right. Mm-hmm. I get it. 
Yeah. So that's my work. My work, my work with the white communities to help educators understand these things. My work with black students and black community is to help them realize there are no chains. I mean, there are still some chains, but in a lot of ways, it's helping them to break the metaphorical chains and realize that there's so much more we can do. Um, it's why I start every assembly that I do in schools with speaking four languages. I want, actually, I usually say hello in eight to 10 languages if I can, but it's, it's on purpose. I want young people to realize that there are no chains. You can do whatever you put your mind to. And I know I have to disrupt, the, I have to be the disruption of narratives. So I physically am the manifestation of disrupting narratives. And that's part of the work I do. But part of what makes me tired is I, I'm doing it on both sides. So I am both supporting the community that looks like me and educating the community that I come from. Right. And, you know, okay, so folks, I got to tell you, if you need some um, guidance, some wisdom, some direction, some training, some coaching on racial equity issues and and you know it honestly it would be very very timely for you to do some staff development with your your teachers before they go back to school you yes. need to get in touch with Aaron now Aaron <laughs> how do they get in touch with you what's your number one way my email address is Aaron E-R-I-N at Aaron Jones dreams.com Aaron Jones dreams.com Although you can reach out to me on any social media platform. If you send me a message, I will respond. And I'm just going to keep it real right now. Um, I, because of all of this, like I am kicking off my four-week seminar for white leaders. I am really focusing right now over the summer on white leaders. I want to talk to people who are making decisions that impact whole communities. Okay. Um, and I'm also not looking for one-offs. So if you want me to come do a 90-minute training with your staff, I am not about that. That doesn't change anything. So I am looking for people that are looking for systemic change. Are you willing to do the work over the long haul, a year, a t two years, three years? That's the kind of work that I want to be doing. Okay. All right. You heard it there, folks. You know what she's looking for. And Erin, do you have room? Because this podcast will drop on. Tuesday, July, the, I mean, June the 9th, um, this Tuesday coming up, it's in two days from now, June the 9th. Do you have room for any, I mean, your group, your facilitation group starts Monday, tomorrow, right? It does, yes, but we will have a part two, so okay. we're already, um, we are already advertising for part two, so if you are interested in being in cohort two, um, please send me an email that will probably start at the end of June and go through July. I am only looking for leaders. So you need to be a principal, a superintendent, a district administrator. I, I don't have time to work with classroom teachers right now. I got to work with the people at the top for right now. Right. So if, if that's you, um, if you run your own consulting company, um, doing education work, those are the kinds of people that I'm looking to work with in cohort two. So reach out to me if you're interested. All right. Perfect. All right, Erin, thank you so much for shedding some light on this, honey. I appreciate you and you know, I love you. 
I know. I love you. Thank you for your birthday card, too. I appreciate that. Ah, uh, you know, <laughs> I gotta say happy birthday to you, to the card, you know, you're my girl. <laughs> I appreciate you so much, Aaron. And folks, if you need some help, remember, reach out to Aaron Jones at Aaron Jones. It's Aaron at AaronJonesDreams.com. Okay, so send her an email. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. All right. Okay. Okay, folks, that's it. Join us next week. I don't know who we're going to hear, but thank you very much for listening. And be sure to reach out to Aaron. Oh, thank you.